Burns on 80s music. In this podcast, we take a close critical look at song lyrics of the late 20th century's best known decade, the 80s, with two members of its most forgotten generation, Generation X. We're your hosts, Margaret and Elizabeth. I'm Margaret. I'm spending my career so far writing corporate memos and press releases and singing 80s songs in the car and shower. I'm Elizabeth. I'm spending my career so far reading and writing academic prose, teaching college students English, and singing 80 songs in the car and shower. In this podcast, we're going to break down the lyrics to your favorite 80 songs, consider whether they hold up in a 21st century context, and deliver some choice critique, aka sick burns. Let's get to it. Hi, how are you? Hi, Margaret. I have to tell you today, I'm really good. Good. Um, yes, I had a wonderful day yesterday. I think it was wonderful, partly in light of all the difficulties our country has been going through lately, mm-hmm. but it was wonderful in and of itself, too. That's great. What, what made it so very special? Well, I woke up and I did a workout, which mm-hmm. I like. And one of my favorite things is to plan for a very strong and sweet coffee after a workout. Nice. I had a free Starbucks. Just like you, strong and sweet. Yeah. (laughs) And that was free. My Starbucks around my corner is open, and that was all good. It was beautiful weather. We went on. Was it free because it was your birthday drink? No, point. Oh, Oh, you used your points. That's great. Yeah. We went on a family bike ride to a new on a new path that I didn't know about. It was this like great park I didn't know about. So fun. And then we, I came home and I read a novel on my bed for two hours. Oh my gosh. Heaven. <laughs> Pure heaven. And then my neighbors put on a porch concert for people on the street. And this has been a long time coming back in early May. I, I don't mean to toot my own horn here, but I frankly think it was my idea because we were all standing around on one of the first nice days. And I realized that one of their partners is a musician and said, oh, maybe, maybe Mike should be playing for us. Cause I had heard about other porch concerts around town. Uh-huh. And then uh, what followed was an unrelenting campaign of pressure <laughs> to entertain us. <laughs> Which everybody loves that, you know, like that's really what makes people respond is when you continually pressure them and needle them and remind (laughs) them that they could be doing something for your pleasure, you know? (laughs) I find it very effective. It works well in my house. Yeah. And so what, well, we had a concert coming and then it was canceled at the last minute. So disappointing. Hmm. Um, And I kind of had written it off and that concert that got canceled was the guy and his soon-to-be stepson it was just like a teenager and a man gonna play and that was going to be great and good enough and then it got rescheduled and I thought it was going to be the same lineup however it was actually the man's full band oh and they were totally awesome and I have to confess like at first I had my doubts I think they opened with like a blues traveler song and another real mild kind of, you know, sound like grocery store soundtrack type Got song. Got it. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, this is nice. Montevani you know? or? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember. And I, but I was like, 
this is so nice, you know, sitting in the sun and blah, blah, blah. And then, but then they really picked it up and started rocking. And for me, like big highlight was when, so they all had invited all their friends too. So it was like a pretty big crowd on our street, you know, and we were all on our, in our family unit, six feet apart in our lawn chairs on people's tree lawns and, and everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, they had invited all their friends and this got one guy had showed up. He was probably 60 or 70. And they were like, Mike, you want to come up and sing the weight with us? And he was like, yeah, okay, sure. And he like went up and, and freaking rocked it. And, you know, I, I mean, I th I'm exaggerating, but I felt like he sounded like Lee Von Hell. <laughs> and I, and they did all the harmonies, you know, and it was just like, very like loose and fun you know yeah, um, yeah. as that song can be and then there's also we have another musician who's like quite an accomplished musician who lives on our street and he asked if he could jump in and he like did some guitar solos and stuff and they played they ended up playing for three and a half hours oh my gosh yeah wow and it just and everybody was out and I met people that I see walking their dogs all the time but don't really know and um hung out and the kids played in somebody's backyard that, and then it wasn't over because then we came home and number one had breakfast for dinner one of nice. the best possible dinners yep b for but, d yep and but number two we had already made plans to have friends come over that we haven't seen in a long time because the only people we've ever seen are our neighbors yeah and we had planned for them to come over and sit outside and have some beers before the porch concert was announced so it was like fun social events and great weather and you know it was all like just super fun and good that sounds awesome it truly was thank god for the nice weather because oh my god sit outside and talk to people and yeah that is um so needed right now yes i also have been spending quite a lot of time outside because i as you know got a puppy so, so you yes. got a puppy? I got a puppy. Yes. Aww. Puppy named Rosie. And she is so cute. But she's the Dickens a little bit because uh -huh. she's a puppy. You know, uh -huh. she's biting a lot. I've got uh -huh. lots of I've got lots of scars and wounds to show for it. Uh -huh. And lots of holes in my pants and things like that. I've learned I really can't wear pants I care about very much around the house. Uh -huh. Or shirts for that matter. Because so she grabs them. Cause she grabs them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She grabs them and she loves playing tug and she wants to just hold on for dear life until she's ripped something. So uh, I'm just basically wearing the same pair of pants that has holes all over it. And I yeah. just wash and wear and repeat yeah. because I'm like, well, while I'm working on this, I'm going to have to consolidate my bottom wear <laughs> or whatever you were saying. <laughs> A capsule wardrobe. There you go. <laughs> for dog training. A puppy having capsule. Yeah. So, but she's great and so much fun. And I also didn't realize that you have to teach a dog how to walk. Oh, um, yeah, right. So we've been oh, having yeah. fun taking walks, but then she just plops down and stops. Yeah. You know, after like 10 steps and looks around like, this seems good. And yeah. um, I'm like, let's keep going, buddy. And she kind of goes all over the place. So I'm doing, I'm like watching lots of YouTube videos and reading. There's a really good subreddit um, for puppy, puppy 101 on Reddit. Oh. And um, full of all kinds of good info. Yeah. Boy, there's so much to learn and know. I think dog training is fascinating. It is. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea of like 
learning to think like another species and then interact with them on that basis is yeah. so interesting. And then you really get to know like what kinds of things are trainable and what kinds of things are inherent and how you work with both. And yeah, yeah I love it. Um, I'm also so amazed at how smart dogs can be. Oh my gosh. I didn't yeah. grow up with them. And until I got our older dog, Gracie, who came along with the marriage 10 years ago, I didn't realize that they like, they know English. It's so yeah. weird. I'm amazed at how fast this puppy picked up sit on day two. Yeah. And has learned touch and sit and come. Yeah. And I'm just amazed at how you can build skill. Right. And we've been having lots of conversation too, because my husband grew up with dogs and the ways that he learned how to train a dog are very different than what's recommended now, Yeah, which is you don't hit them on the nose with a newspaper when they have an accident. You don't rub their face in it when they have an accident. You don't grab them or whatever when they're biting. And so I'm like telling him these new methods of, you know, like mutual respect and patience and love. And he's like, huh, <laughs> not that he's any kind of like a terrible dog owner, but he, it's just different than what he was taught when he was a kid. Yeah. And well, I'm also reteaching were... re him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I, well, I mean, you could tell we've been to dog trainers and you can tell that their big thing is training is teaching the people. Right. Um, but um, somehow those dogs ended up fine anyway, you know, yeah, like they, they, I think they trained. get eventually they get everything just in, yes. in time with consistency over the years. My, yeah. my husband had a dog trainer once that taught him this, this guy was Russian. And so he taught him when the dog is doing something bad, you say, Nyet. and so we keep saying that to the, to the puppy. And I'm like, she's not, can, can we stick to one word? And I think the word should be no. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like she's just gonna, funny. she looks at him like, what? What is that? Yeah. So it's, it's fun and, and she's silly and snuggly and stinky and fun. And we love her. Yeah, that's great. It's super fun. I've never had a puppy before, so it's lots of fun to start from the beginning. Can I recommend? And a I book? feel very adored by her, which is also really oh nice. yes, yeah. right, yes, I know. We our dog adores us. We've had dogs. My dog Lola, who was a very very good dog, mm -hmm. did not like adore me. Like it was just like a sort of mutual respect agreement of equal. You did sort of, of seem like equals, if I'm being yeah yeah. Yeah, she definitely seemed like, and this is my human. Yes. I'd and like she, to introduce you to her. Yeah. Totally. It was not about like, I'm here to help or protect her. Right, right. It's like here together. We're buddies. Totally. And she was, and she was a real good dog, but our dog Lou now is definitely like, how may I be of service to you? Like want <laughs> us to be happy and wants whatever he does to be the right thing that makes us happy. And Aww. like- when like when we would call Lola, she would come like once she kind of realized she felt like it, and once she remembered like we do have the food and the and everything, she'd be like, "Okay, I'm coming." But when we call Lou, he's like, "You want me? You really want me?" And he's like <laughs> so happy to come and be wanted. You should have named him Sally Field. I know Aww. it's very sweet. So but cute. when I had, when I first got Lola, I was a very young and inexperienced woman out of her league. And the one smart thing I did was I got a great book by the monks of New Skeet because um, they raise and train seeing eye dogs. Hmm. And they have all these dog training manuals that by now are like canonical. They're like the Shakespeare of dog training man, like 
how to be your dog's best friend, I think is one. And the other was the art of raising a puppy. And first of all, I loved the writing and the way they like talk about understanding your dog. They go into like all the, you know, DNA of wolves and stuff like that. Also, then I just followed them like step by, like I just did precisely what they told me to do with Lilla and that turned out, I mean, I think she was sort of a naturally good dog too, but that worked out great. I'm going to go look for that. I really recommend it. It's a pleasure to read, you know. I think my library's back open. Maybe I will go pick it up. Oh, yeah. Now, it might be too late, but I had my doubts about telling you some specific funny thing about my porch concert yesterday because it's about my neighbors, but maybe I could tell you and it's not that bad anyways. I think you should at this point, yeah. Okay. So we have on our block, uh, on our street, like several families that live like, you know, the grandparents live down the street and the parents and kids live in another house. Uh And the accomplished musician, I said, who jumped in is named Bobby. And he's in the Buffalo Music Hall of Fame and everything. Wow. The Goo Goo Dolls and others. And anyway, um, the... Wait, the... uh, Sorry, pause. You got a porch concert from one of the members of the Goo Goo Dolls? No. Oh, sorry. The Goo Goo Dolls are in the Buffalo Music Hall of Fame. I see, I see. As is your neighbor. Uh Uh-huh, got it. So um, Bobby is the grandfather of a couple of kids that live a few houses down that my son is friends with. Their mother, Lisa, um, told a story about how Bobby is always forgetting that her son has nut allergies Uh um he's a real like rock and roll guy like he has long hair and you could tell he likes attention and he's always like showing off and he regularly watches her kids and the son by now is six and he still regularly pours glasses of like almond milk for him and now his older sister has to like jump in and be like grandpa no you know like all like (laughs) all the time and also bobby will call lisa and be like oh, I think he's sick. Can you come and get it? You know, and she has to like investigative report. Oh yes, there were some like cashews and the whatever thingy. And she told us this story and we were all very sympathetic on the grounds of like grandparents not listening, you know? <laughs> Luckily, it's not a deadly allergy. It's just throwing up, but still. So oh my God. <laughs> and every time she drops the kids off, once again, they live on the same street and they see them all the time. The kid is six. She still, to this day, every day has to say, don't forget, he's allergic to peanuts and tree nuts. So last night, and so we all knew that Bobby would be like dying to play, you know, like he's such a like showman, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he requested to go on, sure enough, and everyone laughed. A couple of the guys in the band who live about 30 minutes away didn't know him. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, oh, this guy Bobby's going to play with us. We don't know him, but he seems like a nice guy. And everyone laughed because they knew that probably rankled Bobby a little bit. Right. And then Bobby came on and he did some guitar solo during some song. And nobody nobody clapped at the end. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and no. He, so he goes, thank you very much. And like took a big bow, like laughing. <laughs> and And I wanted to, I was dying to say, do you have any grandchildren with allergies? <laughs> <laughs> I was dying to, because this was all like about like what, you know, Bobby's thing right. and not the things that he's supposed to remember. 
<laughs> Bobby. Poor he remembers Bobby. how to play a blues lick, but he doesn't remember who's allergic to nuts. Oh my gosh, that's it's so Bobby. Um, and the whole thing was hilarious. <laughs> cause so bo- classic so Bobby. Bobby. And because everyone was like waiting for him to ask to come on. And then he did. And then everyone laughed because they, when the guy said he didn't know who he was, it's, it's all just so, everyone is just so very much themselves. <laughs> I love a street like that. Well, that's all good stuff. I did bring Dora a story to tell you today about a song. If you want to hear yes. one. I'm totally ready. I think it's going to be a good time. Today's song is Mexican Radio by Wall of Voodoo. I love it. I have such happy memories of that song, and I don't know what it's about at all. Oh, really? Uh Uh-huh. Well, I'm about to tell you. I can't wait. Tell me what your memory, how the memories are. Well, they involve you. Um, And I believe, was it on one of those um, Just Say Yes or compilations mm. potentially mm. do you remember those compilations? uh yeah just say yes and just say mal uh yeah. no i don't think it was but i mean certainly lots of other bands similar were but no i don't think so yeah it might have been on like a ktel collection of some okay. sort but yeah no, it wasn't on any of those that we listened to in high school it was way it way predates high school because it was Does it? Ni- oh, 19, okay. 1982 oh. but i mean i've loved it since then yeah, I'm not sure I remember it. I don't know when I would have first heard it, but for some reason, I think there was a period in high school where we heard it regularly. Maybe someone had put it on a mixtape or something like that mm-hmm. instead. I Do you remember the show Perfect Strangers? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a big fan of that show. And by the way, that show was invoked in the HBO show, The Leftovers. Did you ever see The Leftovers? No, but you have told me forever to watch that. And it's oh, on my, it's on my so to watch list. Yeah, it's so well, good. It and was invoked in The Leftovers? These things yes. seem like no crossover. How was I it? Agreed. So the premise of The Leftovers is a certain percentage of people have just vanished, you know? Mm-hmm. So I believe, is Bronson Pinchot who played Balky? Yes. Cousin, okay. And then there was Cousin Larry. Right. Whose okay. name I don't know. So I think, right. I can't think of it either, but he, that actor becomes like an activist in some regard. The Cousin like, Larry they, actor? The Cousin Larry actor. I think Bronson Pinchot turns out was someone who got disappeared. So it's just like, there's a lot, the whole show has like just very like random things that they imagine might happen with a certain percentage of the population disappearing like what would the effects be yeah and that just happens to be like uh you know one of them one of the minor subplots is huh. related to the but you can imagine that would happen with like a range of shows and celebrities and so forth and it just happens to be them how it's fun it's funny yeah i don't know how to i wouldn't have guessed that there would be comedy in that show there is. Yeah. There's drama, but there is for sure comedy. I do remember that when we met, and we should say just for the listeners who don't understand our relationship, we met in high school. Yes. Right? Oh, yes. Um, I remember that one of the things that we bonded over at the very beginning was that we both really liked that show. And oh, okay. we, we used to, it was one of those like, I watched this show, Perfect Strangers, and I was like, I love that show. And so kindred spirits, well, I right? Re- it, I didn't remember that specifically, but they had a dance, you know, where you hold on to the shoulders and kick The dance of joy. And I remember doing that with you yes. to Mexican radio. That's all. Oh, we did the dance of joy to Mexican radio? 
that is my memory. Huh. Yeah. That's well, what a great choice then for us yeah. to discuss <laughs> this song today. I don't remember that, but I do have an association in my mind with you and this song. So oh, that must be that? it. That's gotta okay. be it. Okay. Okay. Which is interesting that we like this song so much because it wasn't, it only made it to number 58 in 1982. Really? When I was just 10 or not even probably in the summer, I was, I was just nine, but it did go to 18 in Canada. It was big in New Zealand, but it was not that big of a deal here in America. Um, except to get, it got lots of play on early days of MTV. So I think a lot of people know it because of Uh that. And I think it's sort of thought of as like a novelty song and, uh, and that's okay. I love novelty songs and lots of people would call it a one hit wonder, but Walla Voodoo was an American new wave band from Los Angeles. Uh-huh. One of the interesting things about the song is that, well, really the band, not just this song, but this song is a good example of it, is that their song is kind of characterized as like synthesizer based new wave music mm-hmm. mixed with the spaghetti Western soundtrack style of Ennio Morricone. Do you know who that is? Oh, I, I most certainly do. Yeah. But I'm sure you will play a clip of the song mm-hmm. now. Or Let's have a listen. Well, it's this like jangly, the jangly guitar and the mariachi harmonica bit mm. in the middle. Oh, um, okay. And so those kinds of components, okay. you can kind of hear it. I and guess I, okay. They actually had recorded on their previous album, a really good cover of Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. Okay. In fact, there's a little piece of a soundtrack like a like a piece of film score at the end of that song. They love this kind of music. The Walla Voodoo founder was a guy, there was a couple of them, but lead singer was named is named Stan Ridgeway. And he actually had a company called Acme Soundtracks, and they did soundtracks for low-budget sci-fi and horror films. Wow. So he is like a huge fan of yeah. movie soundtracks. And oh, just yeah. for the uninitiated, Ennio Morricone is a has done all the themes to many Westerns, like the good, the bad, and the ugly, which is the one that goes. Uh That's my good, bad, and the ugly. um, Really good. But Fistful of Dollars, The Mission, which starred um, Robert 
De Niro, which is like the most beautiful Jeremy musical. Irons. Yeah. yeah, so good. Yeah. And the most gorgeous song. I used to yeah. go to sleep to that soundtrack in college. Yeah. And then um, Tarantino got him to do the themes music for Hateful Eight. So if you listen to some of that stuff and then you listen to um, Mexican radio, you might hear, listen for the commonalities. I think I remember that now. And it's there's a quality to it that invokes wearing a blanket as a coat. Uh, you know Sarapi, what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> they, they, because it's all like borderland exactly. kind of storytelling, yes. right? Exactly. Um, so maybe there's some crossover there, I think. So Stan Ridgeway had this company, the soundtrack company. It was right across the street from this club in LA called the Mask Club, which was a really famous punk club in LA. And a bunch of famous punk bands came out of that, like the germs and X and also one of my personal faves, the Go-Go's. Yeah. Who started as a punk band. Yeah. Um, wow. So he met this guy named Mark Moreland, who was in a punk band called the Skulls. And the Skulls were actually the first band to play the mask, which is this club. Um, so they met each other. They started jamming um, at the Acme offices and they got um, their name actually when a friend of the band, a friend of theirs who was in this band called the Fibonacci's, um, which is like such a great name for a band, said their sound had so many that like they would really do a lot of layers of synthesizer and drum machines. And he said, oh, this is like Phil Spector's wall of sound, but it's more like a wall of voodoo. And they were like, hey, great, nice. name, great name for our band. I want to insert that X is the most ungoogleable band ever. It's almost <laughs> like they invented their name in order to evade google down the sure. road uh-huh they they have that kind of visionary thinking yes in john doe lyrics is, you can't find them <laughs> hi you're listening to sick burns where we deliver the sickest burns on 80s music this side of the mississippi if you like what you're hearing leave us a rating or review on itunes you can also leave us a comment or a digital voicemail at sickburnspodcast.com and tell us who you'd burn. Now, back to the show. These guys, Stan Ridgway and Mark Moreland, would ride around together in the car in Los Angeles, and they would kind of like bemoan the lack of good music that they were hearing, and like they hated LA radio. And so they often would like tune their radio stations to these stations coming across the border from Mexico. And that is how they got the idea for Mexican radio. Mm-hmm. These stations in Mexico were called border blasters. You ever okay. heard of a border blaster? No, but go on. I've heard of other, go on. Okay. So now we're going to take a little trip down this rabbit hole of what border blasters are. And I think that you will find that there is interesting things to note for you based on where you live. Um, Yes. Do you know of a song, by the way, called Border Radio by the Blasters? I encountered it while I was looking into this. And that is, there are many songs about this kind of topic, actually. Yes. But you'll think of a few as we um, continue discussing. Fascinating. A border blaster is an unlicensed radio station that broadcasters use to target other countries. That term is kind of like a North American origin. It's usually associated with Mexican AM stations that 
cover large parts of the US, and then there's some in the US that um, cover large parts of Canada. And actually, some European stations used to do this before World War II to throw their signal towards the UK. And I actually, I listened to a really good autobiography by Richard Blade, who's, um, who is a pretty famous new wave DJ from LA called K-Rock, but he grew up in England and he remembers hearing radio stations that would come across unregulated in England, but they were coming across from Europe. And that really heavily influenced his, you know, sense of his musical sensibilities. Perhaps the most famous example of this that you might have heard of is a little U.S. government-funded station called Radio Free Europe, which targeted Eastern Europe. Yes. Uh-huh. And you know that because? Of the R.E.M. song. That's right, which is a great song. Oh, no, because I'm, I've studied the sociological and technological <laughs> implications of the nation state throughout history. <laughs> and you have. I'm sure lots of people have actually done Oh, totally. Yes. I just wanted to make there. myself sound less shallow for a moment. <laughs> but I, I do think that most people know about it because of the REM song. So the reason that they have this power is because their signals are just more powerful than those in the U.S. Uh, and so these Mexican border blasters could be he- heard like all across the U.S. between the 40s and the 70s. And that really pissed off the U.S. radio stations because their stations were over, their signals were overpowered. And they were like, hey, get out of my airwaves or whatever. The border blaster stations are sometimes called X stations because they're call letters. Mexico assigns call signs beginning with XE or XH to their broadcast stations. These are sort of days gone by situations because in 1972, the U.S. and Mexico signed an agreement to regulate the FM band power levels and make frequency assignments. And so they, they made that agreement. But AM radio border blasters still exist, although they're largely ignored because they're on AM and very few people listen to AM anymore. Um, Can I ask you a couple of questions? Yes, you can. Uh, Can't promise I'll know the answers, but. Yeah, yeah. Is the idea that these, well, first of all, you said Mexico to the United States and U.S. to Canada. Mm -hmm. Is there not any Canada to the U.S. or U.S. to Mexico? Actually, there is. In Canada, um, there's a station in Windsor, Ontario called CKLW. So Windsor, Ontario is right across the Detroit River from Detroit, and it operates in compliance with its Canadian license, but it's got this 50,000 watt directional signal that used to blanket much of Michigan and Northern Ohio, including on the east side of Cleveland. Uh So, you know, especially at night, you can pick these signals up even more. So at night you could hear it as far east as Cleveland, and then during the days you could hear it to Toledo and Lima and Dayton. Wow. Um, so yes, and okay. then border blasting is also a big deal in Buffalo because mm. the group. So in in America we have the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC. In Canada they have the CRTC, which is the Canadian Radio, Television, and Telecommunications Commission. What a mouthful. And that's their regulatory body. And they've made it illegal to operate a station licensed in Canada from studios in the U.S. Um, But there is a station in Fort Erie, Ontario, CKEY-FM, 
and they learned this when they attempted to offshore their operations to Buffalo. Uh-huh. And um, they almost had their license revoked by the CRTC. And CKEY is still on the air, and they target solely the Niagara region and no longer Western New York. Uh-huh. Okay, so now then I have another question. Are yes. these border blaster stations, um, do they all have a variety of different purposes? Entertainment, politics, yeah. like mm-hmm. just depending on... Some talk radio, some music. Yeah. So maybe you're getting to the question of like, well, why? Why do they want people to listen to them? I would think that some of it is just, I mean, perhaps some of it's like socio-political, but I think a lot of it is also just like advertising uh, right. um, uh-huh. and things like that. I mean, I don't know that you can really like, that you would drive across the border to buy something because you heard an ad, but who knows? Yeah, well, I guess I still, I'm kind of stuck on with the, original idea of Radio Free Europe, which was original to me, and which I gather served some political purposes. That doesn't mean it does today. That's more like um, psychological operations or something to try and convince Eastern Europeans that democracy is a great idea. Right. Or like the things you hear between North and South Korea. I think there's some radio stations, you know, that are involved in propaganda from each side, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's all persuasion yeah. in some respect, right? Right. Do you ever watch WIVB in Buffalo? Uh, especially with the quarantine, I yeah. have been. I can't remember what number that is, but I think I also follow them on oh, Twitter. Yeah, they're the NBC affiliate in Buffalo. Mm. And before the digital TV transition, they, they were considered a U.S. border blaster into Canada because mm-hmm. um, Western New York is actually like a smaller media market than Southern Ontario, which is yes. Toronto. And they were operating with t- 100,000 watts of power on the VH low band, even after the FCC reduced the maximum allowed power for to 80,000 watts. So that's all fascinating to some degree or not, yes. depending on what you find interesting. So picture it, Ridgeway and Mark Moreland are riding around in LA and they're listening to Mexican radio. That's Moreland- almost as delightful as my perfect day yesterday. <laughs> right? And they're well, like- good weather. Bitching like good punk musicians yeah. about how, yeah. how crappy all the music is and yeah. how crappy all the, all the um, radio stations are and the quality of the music they're playing. And so- of course, that inspires them to like make a new sound and do their own thing and put out into the world what they're looking for. Yeah. And Mark Moreland was actually first to begin writing the song. He recorded a little lick on his guitar, kind of mumbled some lyrics to the chorus, and uh, he took it to Ridgeway, who finished writing the song. He kind of added all those verse lyrics. He also played the harmonica, so he kind of put that mariachi harmonica melody in the middle, that breakdown mm-hmm. in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then if you listen to the song, there really is a lot happening with like some Moog synthesizers at the very beginning. And mm-hmm. um, then they've also overlaid these DJ Spanish speaking DJ voices. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can kind of hear like a DJ talking. I don't speak Spanish like a dummy. I took French in high school, so I don't know what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's two versions of the song. One is a single. One was on the album. And they're different, different um, things that the DJ is saying. 
Ah. Um, yeah, different voices, different words. So, I might, I have a couple of Spanish speaking family members. I might ask this question of both versions and maybe I'll bring it to a corrections corner. Do so. it. Or <laughs> listeners, tell us somebody who speaks Spanish. Oh, let us one know of what those they are saying. Family members is supposedly listening. So tell us. Oh, yes. Tell us, family member. <laughs> As I said, the video got lots of airplay on MTV. Um, there's a couple little interesting trivia factoids about this song and so the video is like um early 80s the go-to was the band just stood there and played and they filmed them and then they intercut with other kind of images so it's the four of them sort of crowded around playing and stan ridgeway makes some really weird funny facial expressions while he sings but then it's intercut with a lot of stock footage of just of mexico driving down the street or a bullfighter and then they also took a little trip. They took the band to Tijuana and just filmed them kind of walking around and talking to people. Hang so on, a bullfighter? Yeah, yeah. In Mexico City, there's there was bullfighting. Okay, not just Spain. Not just Spain. Mm-hmm. Okay, continue. <laughs> yes. And then at the end, there's this shot where this woman is sitting in front of a large kind of pot. And she, unco- she takes the lid off and uncovers this big bowl of what I assume are pinto beans. And then Stan Ridgway's face kind of comes out of it. I don't know if you remember that shot from <laughs> no. the video. It's very weird. His like face kind of emerges from Ew. these beans uh-huh. and it's weird and gross and funny. Uh-huh. Um, fun fact, those beans were cooked by Bob Casal of Devo. Oh, that is fun. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but um, And what, yeah. what city is Devo from? Um, I don't know. They must be from LA or some way they found their way to LA. Uh, hang on. Are you joking? No, I don't know. Where are they from? From Akron, Ohio. Divas from Akron? Oh, yes. They were part of the musical revolution in Akron in the 70s. With the pretenders? And the waitresses. And others, too. No, wait. I thought the waitresses were from Pittsburgh. No. Maybe maybe a member is, but they are associated with with the Akron sound in the 70s. Oh, I feel like a real dummy. You should. And you should feel like you're betraying your home state also, because that's exactly what's happening right now. I guess I spend so much more time listening to and thinking about the pretenders that I completely forgot to think about Devo. Fully. And and then, you know, later, of course, we have like the Black Keys. We have, there's a very rich Northeast Ohio, but Devo is always cited as one of them. And so every like film I see that Mark Mothersbaugh scored, I'm like, Cleveland! Because Cleveland now is shorthand for the huge quadrant that is Northeast Ohio. Mm, is it though? I don't know. <laughs> How did so many cool people, because I, I don't know, I feel, I, Akron's a separate It is. Town. It's I, a totally separate town. Yeah. Uh, but I guess we like to take credit because that's where um, LeBron, James. LeBron James is from. And so we like to think of it as a well, suburb, it, yes. a bedroom community of Cleveland. I think people always sort of thought of it that way, like as a sort of like sub Cleveland, you know, and then maybe LeBron united the region. I guess so. (laughs) Yes. And thank God for that because we were really suffering, not feeling more part of Akron. Um, (laughs) I, that's the kind of thing a person from Cleveland would say. I know. I'm sorry. I, I guess I, I do have some um, prejudices in that respect. Mm -hmm. So how did Akron get so many cool people from it? And Cleveland has like the Michael Stanley band. Man, I hear you. I don't know. There's a, um, I read a book called The Hard Way on Purpose, which is 
by, I can't remember his first name, his last name is Giffels, G-I-F-F-E-L-S for mm -hmm. listeners. And it is about, he's about our age and he grew up in Akron and stayed in Akron. And that's why the, hence the title, because he chose like difficult Rust Belt living over uh, comfortable, whatever, Atlanta suburbs. Or I don't know that that literally was his choice, but, and he goes, and he talks a lot about growing up um, in Akron then and a lot of it you and I could relate to um, and he t you know talks about like the calves at the Coliseum when they sucked so bad in like the mm. early 80s you know and they had yeah. to like packed practically pay people to go to games yeah and although it was still fun to go totally so fun yeah. yeah and he but he was um let's see so that would have made him a teenager in the 80s like after this kind of revolution has happened but i he it's been a few years since i read it but he talks about some of the ways that akron cultivated that in the 70s and you know some of the venues and scenes i guess it was as the city was going into decline maybe because maybe the late 70s was after Goodyear had closed and things like that, but mm -hmm. it's a really great book, and I'm just taking this opportunity Good. to plug it. Goodyear, of course, um, that one of the big industrial employers in Akron. Yeah, and he and he makes you know he go, talks about Akron being the rubber city and Cleveland being steel, you know, and yep, yep. So interesting. In any what case, the name of the book again: The Hard Way on Purpose. Hmm, okay, have to give that one a check out. I believe he's a journalist for, it's probably, I think it's the Akron Beacon Journal. Who knows uh -huh. what state that's in now. Uh -huh. um, and he oh, also- still around. I read lots of stuff from them. They're, oh, great. Yeah. I mean, everybody's he, cut their staff, but- Yeah. Still around. He was also a professor of maybe journalism, I'm not sure what, at the University of Akron, which is also not doing so well these days. But, right. um, but in any case, it's a great book and talks a lot about the music scene. Cool. I'm going to- I'm going to have a look at that. Mea culpa that I didn't know Devo was from Akron or I forgot it. One of the things about the song that is kind of a sad postscript is, and so it became a big hit, right? Everybody loved this song, got played on MTV a lot. I watched an interesting clip of them on um, American Bandstand and Dick Clark is like oh. interviewing them and asking them <laughs> all these questions. And they, the lead singer, you can tell is just sort of a... Um, like kind of a nonconformist and didn't really want to play along with Dick Clark's yeah. games and wouldn't give a straight answer about anything. <clears throat> and Mark Moreland, the guitarist, it was his birthday the day that they were on. And Dick Clark is like, and I hear it's your birthday. And you, w this guy looked like he wished the floor would open him up, open up and swallow him. He looked so uncomfortable. That's hilarious. Um, because his brother, Bruce, who was also one of the founders of the band, talked about how just painfully shy he was. Yeah. Um, and actually he, Mark Moreland, is the subject of another um, very popular alternative song. He dated singer Jeanette Napolitano what? from Concrete Blonde, and she wrote the song Joey about him. No. -uh. Yes. Aww. Mm -hmm.
Um, and, and the song, if you don't know, it's about being in love with an alcoholic. And sadly, he died in 2002 after renal failure from a liver transplant. Oh. So it's just very sad and tender mm. to, to hear that song and know that it's written about him. Right. They, they performed music together and had a relationship. So, huh. um, yeah. And the drummer from the band, Joe Nanini, a fantastic name, Nanini, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, also passed away at age 45 in the year 2000 from a brain hemorrhage. Oh dear. Stan Ridgeway still going strong and he is he still occasionally scores for uh, movies and soundtracks. Uh, so I have always loved this song as we've discussed. I had this moment in the 90s, the early 90s when I heard uh, Longview by Green Day and okay. it made me think, uh, I think I've told you this before, it made me think of this song and I was trying to figure out why and I think it's just I think purely it's because of the drum beat at the beginning, which um, I went down a rabbit oh, hole on yeah. this too. And it's yeah. like the same, it's a tom oh, yeah. beat. So yeah. it's just played on the... Yes, I love that. I do too. Here's a little bit of that Green Day beat. Here's the Mexican radio. And And it definitely is that, that like syncopation on the Tom Toms that is the commonality, I think. Yeah. So it's an interesting question. Did Walla Voodoo influence Green Day? Yeah did actually see Mike Durnt, who's the bassist for Green Day, is in this documentary about the mask, that club in LA. Um, and he was talking about the skulls and how um, how good they were and what how influential that was. And it did make me think, huh, like he wrote that song, Longview, and here he is saying he's influenced by the skulls, which is, yeah, um, you know, the band um, that Mark Moreland was in. So Maybe there is a little line that can be drawn between the two. And perhaps if you break down the lyrics a little, you know, it's really just them singing I'm on our Mexican radio over and over again. Um, There's not a lot to burn, really, Uh, (laughs) except that there's this idea of like, it's like sort of rebellious to think what we're being served up here doesn't cut it for me. And um, I'm going to go find what I'm looking for kind of in a... I mean, these border blasters are like illegal in some respects, yeah. right? Um, so it's <clears throat> sort of like a rebel move to broadcast across a border. Although like it's just the air and the air doesn't follow borders. So right. um, it's kind of a stupid idea. All these um, constructs that we put up about borders and regulation and stuff. Although, you know, as a rule follower, I understand the necessity of it. But right. um, yeah, it's interesting. Well, in that way, it sounds almost like more subversive than a lot of other songs that probably would have positioned themselves as rebellious. You know, I mean, it's listening to or or participating in border blasting sounds a lot 
more interesting than just like piercing your lip or doing heroin. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and so let's all try that instead. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it is still a, I mean, it, it is still something that has a kind of a cult following among ham radio operators that this idea of, and wasn't there like a Christian Slater movie about this in the late eighties or the early nineties? Was it pump up the volume? Yes. It was pump up the volume. Uh-huh. Wasn't that the topic of, of that movie? Oh, was it some kind of like political rebellion through radio? Is that what it was? Is that what you mean? Maybe. Yes. Is Listen, that what the topic of the movie was about? I don't remember at all. The oh yeah, thing- it is. It's about pirate radio. Okay. Yep, well, the that's- guy starts a pirate radio station that broadcasts from the basement of his parents' house. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's unrelated to like national borders though, right? It's just unrelated. Un- it's just about rebellion through radio. Well, I don't, uh, just a lot of things coming together here because pump up the volume. The main thing I remember about it besides the hotness of Christian Slater to me in that moment, in that moment was, uh, is the soundtrack which has a concrete blonde cover of the Leonard Cohen song, Everybody Knows. Yes, that's his like theme song in the movie. That's the theme song of his station. And it's such a great cover of a great song. I love Jeanette Napolitano's voice and always have. And Mm -hmm. anyway, so that, and I think we've talked, we mentioned Everybody Knows at some other episode. And now you've mentioned Concrete Blonde and Jeanette Napolitano and maybe pump up the volume is you know the the convergence of all it's like the crystal of all these topics that we've been coming to and all of our listeners should go watch it right now yeah i think that's a good thing to delve a little deeper um (laughs) that's good homework for people to do there is like a whole community around radio as a hobby and i think it's very interesting and so Maybe yeah. by watching Pump Up the Volume, everybody will get more inspired to, to do that. The border blasting you will find often mentioned in articles with this thing called DXing. Have you ever heard of DXing? I don't think I have. It's this hobby of like trying to tune in to a faraway radio or TV signal and make or make two-way radio contact with distant stations through like amateur radio or CB, citizens band radio. The thing that DXers do, and this really reminds me of like stamp collecting in some way, is they try to get written verification from the station. So they'll like write and say, hey, I picked up your station at this time on this date. And then they send it to the station and then the station will then give them this thing called a QSL or a very, uh-huh. um, and you collect and them and they collect, collect them. them. Yeah. Oh, that's uh-huh. cool. yeah. It's like a reception report is what you mailed. And then you get this, this written acknowledgement or a QSL card that verifies that you heard them. A piece um, of paper in the mail. Yes. But this was like a big, these cards, like collecting the cards was big in the twenties and thirties. Oh, I see. Um, and the stations appreciated it because that, allowed them to kind of gauge how good their transmissions were. Yeah. That's really cool. I know. It's sort of like a pen pal from, you know, a distant far away coming through the, coming through the airwaves. The other radio related movie that I think people could watch um, if they were looking for something to watch is Frequency. 
It is a 2000 movie, Dennis Quaid, Jim Caviezel. The idea of it is this dad, Dennis Quaid, is like, likes to do CB, ham radio, whatever. Then he's a fireman. He dies in a fire. And then his son grows up and starts fooling around with his dad's old um, radio equipment. And somehow, like through the mists of time, he starts communicating on radio frequency. Like the radio frequency does like a little back to the future moment, right? Like out there in the ether, they're picking up frequencies over time. And he's talking to his dad, like through the decades over this radio. His dead dad. And then there's like, you know, the, the twist for every time travel movie is sort of like, if you had different information, could you undo events in the past? Right. Yeah. Check it out. It's a good, it's a good like yeah. fantasy movie. It's got a number of stars on uh, a promising number of stars on IMDb, I see. Mm-hmm. Um, and Randy Quaid is the dad. No, no. Dennis Quaid. That's a real big difference. Did I say Randy? I don't know if you oh. did. I don't know. I was just double checking. <laughs> uh and so i'm glad we clarified yeah <laughs> dennis quaid that's, if, that's a different mood you know yes <laughs> <laughs> which quaid, i think you said dennis i'm sure you said the okay right. all right I might have heard the wrong <laughs> this radio station is a beaut <laughs> <laughs> so that's the story so yeah. there's not much to burn um there's only things to love and um, I think everybody should go pick up a little ham radio and start um, DXing and border blasting and seeing where it takes the world. Yes, I'll definitely do it since I live in a, on a border. Right, radio-free Buffalo. Just know if the FCC comes knocking at your door, this will be why. Well, they probably don't have any stat, you know, like all the government agencies that have been neglected, you know. Sure, nobody's there. Nobody's (laughs) watching. I'm going to like manufacture things and put mercury in the soil and... (laughs) Because nobody will ever know. Exactly. Put mercury in the soil. That is the most dastardly thing. Well, I think you can now. What? Yeah, with all the EPA deregulation. Yeah, I I mean, I think it's been like, all the safety things have been, you know, shaved away. Sure, over sure, time, sure, so. sure. Now, does that mean that if I broke a thermometer, I couldn't just like go like just shake it outside so that it doesn't get on my skin or whatever? That's a real good question. I don't think thermometers actually use mercury anymore. How about they use something to? else? I don't know what it is, but I think it's illegal. But but I do believe that now, yeah, that means if it was mercury, you could just like throw it out the window. Nobody will be the wiser. Yeah, we were so restricted under all those Obama era, (laughs) you know, the straight jackets we were in. But now we can start up factories and just throw everything in the rivers, just like we, you know, that was what was holding me back. It's like the seventies again. Oh yeah, who didn't love the seventies? It's one of our best decades. It was good for everybody. (laughs) Um. Yeah, so that's the story of Wall of Voodoo and uh, Mexican Radio. Check them out. And then after you listen to that, listen to their very excellent cover of Ring of Fire, which is um, like, it's one of the best. I found a really good article from the NPR um, music editor saying it was like their favorite cover. Oh, that's Like their favorite cover song. Oh, uh, then I will. I'll definitely listen to that. It's a great song. Yes, you should. And while you're at it, listen to some some movie themes. The Ring of Fire 
cover that they did had um, a little bit of the theme from this movie called Our Man, Our Man Flint, which okay. was composed by a guy named Jerry Goldsmith, who is like a contemporary of Ennio Morricone. Yeah. And is he, he like, is Morricone still alive? Yeah, I think so. Didn't he just okay. get an honorary Oscar? That's familiar years? to me. I think yeah. he is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just wondered. Yeah. So I think I'll put on uh, um, some of those soundtracks while I'm cooking up my dinner tonight. Yeah. Any verdict from you to have? Are you Are you good? Any final thoughts? Uh, I'm gonna say verdict. Thumbs up. Yeah. Okay. Same. Thumbs up. Put yeah, it on the next totally. tape. I'm gonna continue to enjoy it and maybe even promote it as well you should uh-huh okay good well thanks for joining me today thank you for that interesting take well that's it for this episode of sick burns if you want to join the conversation or suggest a song you can find us on instagram we're at sick underscore burns underscore pod on twitter at at sick 80s on facebook at sick burns or email us at burning the 80s at gmail.com or visit our website at sickburnspodcast.com to leave a message or a voicemail. And stay tuned for more Sick Burns on your favorite 80s songs next time. We're your hosts, Margaret and Elizabeth. Thanks for joining. Thanks.